to start by kind of telling you a little bit of our story about how we ended up here. You know, uh, my wife and I uh, actually started coming to fellowship in a really tough time in our lives. We found ourselves, uh, for the first time in a long time, not only not serving uh, in a church in a, in a staff role, but also uh, we were just hurt. You know, we were hurt. We were, we, were, we were trying to figure it out. I was starting a new job. We had this new family. It was difficult. And, uh, you know, we, we tried some churches uh, in, in the area. And actually, the, the first time that we came here, uh, we got in the car and we didn't say a word. We just looked at each other uh, with almost like a tear in our eye. And we just knew. We just knew. It was, it was something that we experienced here was this like real, genuine, biblical hospitality. It wasn't somebody just shaking my hand and saying, hey, because it's Sunday morning and that's, what they have, you know, that's what, where they serve and what they have to do. But they were really passionate about getting to know us, love us. And listen, my testimony is just one of literally hundreds that are very similar to that from this place. That is actually your reputation in the city as being a place that is welcoming, loving, and opening, uh, opening their doors and their arms. And it's a home for people. And I want you to know uh, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we look forward to growing and serving alongside of you guys for a very long time. So I just want to start by thanking you for that. So uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn it to Revelations chapter uh, 2. Uh, we will look at the book of Acts, chapters 18 and 19 and some, but we're going to be mostly in Revelations chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible, in the, the pew right there in front of you is a, a paper, paperback Bible. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can have that one. And if paperback's not your thing, there's a lost and found out there. Uh, you can probably find a nice, like maybe a couple different translations. I don't know, a nice Bible out there. You can take that one home with you, okay? So if you're using the, the paperback uh, Bible, that's going to be on page eight, 870, okay, Revelations 2. Uh, be- before we get going here, I kind of want to talk about uh, uh, where we're going, and, and then we'll, we'll jump in. If, if this is your first time here at Fellowship, we, uh, we like to s- speak through and, and go through series, right? And so we're in a three-part series right now about sharing, sharing our faith. And so last week, Fred talked about sharing uh, our life. Right? And so this week we're going to talk about ultimately where we're going to land is about sharing our story, like our personal story. In other words, that would be our personal testimony. Okay, And so uh, what I like to do and want to do is I want to read some scripture, talk about it, read some scripture, talk about it, and then end with some really, really practical ways that we can live this out in uh, the, the area and, the, and the, where our life is playing itself out. So... Uh, and I want to be totally upfront with you, okay? Nothing that I am saying today is new. Like, not one thing that I'm going to say today is new. The staff, the elders, others here have said this for years, okay? This is just a reminder. This is just an encouragement of where we want to be. So, what's happening in Revelations chapter 2 is uh, Jesus, through the pen of John, is writing a series of letters to the seven churches in the ancient world, okay? Okay? And these churches, they served as like this missionary hub. They were bases, right, where the gospel was being sent out all over the Roman Empire. And so what we're going to see here in Revelations chapter 2 is Jesus is looking at the church of Ephesus. He's looking at it, and he likes some things that he sees. So just like right off the gate here, cards on the table, if it pleases Jesus, 
We kind of want to be about it, right? Like if Jesus looks at something and goes, that makes my heart happy, we want to go, okay, we're going to emulate, we're going to pursue that. And so that being said, let's, let's dive in. Revelations chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Look, this is apocalyptic language, okay? It's probably red letter in some of your Bible. It's Jesus. Okay, that's who's holding the stars. That's who's walking among the lampstands. It's not a secret. It's Jesus. He says this. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So he ends with this Eden-type language here. And so right off the bat in this passage, we can see some things that we want to emulate. Like right out of the gate, right? Like the first thing we see is in verse 2. We see that this church, the church of Ephesus, has this patient endurance. Here's what it says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And then in verse 3, he says the exact same thing, but flips the words around. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake. Now, when this talks about patient endurance, here's what it's saying. These people were, and ultimately those of us who would call upon the name of King Jesus today, uh, are sure of ultimate victory, right? Like we are living in, they were, and we are living in the space between already and not yet, Like. Ultimate victory has been secured in Christ, but we patiently endure in this age until final victory has been established. New heaven, new earth, right? So Jesus is looking at the church of Ephesus, and he sees that there is this deep-rooted confidence. And he looks at that, and he goes, I like that. I like that deep-rooted confidence. And, and, and I want to be clear here about what they are enduring through. They are not enduring through being marginalized by the media. That's not what they're enduring through. They are being arrested. Okay, their stuff's being confiscated. They're being killed, and they are patiently enduring. And we can learn from that. We want to endure. We want to patiently endure like that. Right? But that's not the only thing that we see happen, and we see this. We see that they can spot false teaching. Right. So the first half of verse 2 said, I know your work, your toil, and your patient endurance. And the second half says this. And you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So they can spot this false teaching. What happens is, is these apostles show up, they start preaching a, a gospel that is different than the gospel of King Jesus, and the people at the church of Ephesus, they are theologically rooted enough to see this, to hear this teaching, and go, wait a minute. That is inconsistent with the words of King Jesus, and so we reject that teaching. Right, like, right now, just based on what we had, when my daughter grows up and, and moves away or whatever she does, she find, has to find her own church home one day. I hope she finds a church like this, right? 
I mean, I hope that she, this place has good doctrine, right? Uh, they, they are patiently, and they, they can spot false teaching. I, I hope she finds a place like that. And so then we see this, that they don't acquiesce the culture. Look at verse 6. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now I want to talk about Nicolaitans for a second, okay? Because this has some weight for 2019. The Nicolaitans were a group of men and women in Ephesus, okay? And in Ephesus, you had this beautiful temple, right? Like, just stunning, beautiful temple. And the way that you worshiped the goddess of that temple was via uh, t- sexual rituals and temple prostitution. Now, I do see some kids in here, so that might be an interesting conversation on the way home. Please send all your emails to fbaker at fellowship.com. Uh, but this is how they worshipped, okay? This was a sect of people that, that were in that culture and saying, hey, look, we've been freed and coming to Christ, right? And, and so we want to worship him how we know to worship, worship him, which was through this, uh, you know, temple prostitution. And the church looks at that in Ephesus and they're like, what? That's ridiculous. God hates that. We hate that. There's tons of collateral damage from that. And, and Jesus sees that, looks at that and goes, I like that. I like that about you. I like your gall. I like that you are enduring under cultural pressure to conform to sexual perversions, and you've rejected it. I like that about you, Ephesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, they're knocking, I mean, this is legit, okay? They're knocking it out of the park right now. They can spot this false teaching, that patient endurance, you know, there are all these things. And, and listen, We can learn from them. We want to be a church. We want to be a church that loves the word of God. And we are. That preaches the word of God. That sings the word of God. Listen, we want to be shaped by it, formed by it, submitted to it. We want to be this kind of church. And we're seeing that here. But also you see something else, right? They have this zeal, right? They're not crusty. They're not some like stale, crusty church. They're specifically zealous for this doctrinal depth, right? And they're specifically Zealous for this endurance. You see that in the line, and you have not grown weary. Right? You have not gotten exhausted in this kind of pursuit of doctrinal purity. You have not gotten uh, weary of patiently enduring wave after wave of culture in the church and out of the church that is trying to pull you away from the gospel. You've done well. That's what's being said. And in the middle of all of this encouraging, beautiful stuff that we want to emulate and pursue, we get a word of warning. This is what it says in verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, I want to kind of unpack that for a minute because to be honest that is a terrifying idea right because Jesus just said I love that you're pursuing doctrinal purity I I love that you're well taught I love that you're patiently enduring yet you're not about me you're about you and if that does not change I'm going to remove my favor I'm going to remove my hand from you so you can have according to the Bible What we just read, you can have a church that pursues doctrinal purity, that patiently endures, that even kind of bucks up in the face of a changing culture and yet is lacking or is in danger of lacking the power and the presence of Jesus. Listen, 
That is a terrifying idea for a church like us here at Fellowship, where we are serious about Christian theology, where we are serious about the Word of God, where we are serious about being strong in the face of a changing culture. What we've just read is a word of warning that kind of echoes to us, and it needs to be considered. This is probably a good time for me also to let you know that nowhere that I found in Scripture, and I've you know, looked really hard for this. God never threatens us without showing us a, a way to life, okay? He never does that without showing, and he, he did it here. He said, I'm going to, unless you repent, then he lays this before them, do the things you did at first. Now, here's the good news about this. We actually know more about the church of Ephesus than we do any other church in the Bible, Right? And so when he says, when Jesus says, I want you to do the things you did at first, we can actually look back at those things that he's talking about and see. And we see the church born, and of Ephesus born in Acts 18 and 19, right? We see the letters to Timothy, who's one of the elders. So first and second Timothy are written to Timothy while he's pastoring there. We see first, second, and third John, who are also written uh, to Ephesus while John, because John's an elder there, right? And so, I mean, you talk about a church staff. When the dudes on your staff are like writing the Bible, okay, it's like, it seems a little bit unfair. But this is the church of Ephesus, okay? It has a long history. You can track the trajectory, right? And here in, in Revelations chapter 2, they're like roughly 60 years old. And somewhere in that 60 years, they had gotten really, really good at being clean. They had gotten really good at being tidy. They had gotten really good at being well put together. But they had lost love for Jesus. And by doing so, lost love for people because those two are connected. Now that is a terrifying idea to me. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to remove my favor unless... And then he points them back to where they were born. And so this kind of gets us into the meat of where we want to be today. Because we're going to talk about the birth of the church of Ephesus. I love the birth of the church at Ephesus. It's supernatural, it's wild, it's, it's insane. It's everything that would make us uncomfortable, right? And the Bible says that Paul shows up, he starts preaching the gospel, ultimately, so they don't have to read the whole two chapters to you, what, what, what's being communicated is he begins to share his life. He begins to share his story. He begins daily relationships. He, he begins to open, have an outward orientation, right? And then, in the middle of all that, there's some like disagreement. And instead of arguing and bickering back and forth, he finds those people who are hungry to know the Lord, and he begins to pour, it, pour into them. I want to read just a little snippet of this in Acts 19, uh, 9 through 10. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly slandered the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily. Had daily discussions in the lecture hall. And this went on for two years. So for two years, this guy is pouring in, meeting with people, opening his life, sharing his story, showing biblical hospitality. Two years. So that the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. At this point, I would say after two years, it is safe to say that there are some serious relationships happening. Right? They're, getting, they're, they're not just acquaintances at this point. They're really, they know what's going on. They're experiencing biblical hospitality. And they're experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit through that. And we know that because this, guess what starts to happen? They begin to cut uh, pieces of 
Paul's garments and they're taking it to people that are sick and they're touching them with it and they're being healed. And they're taking it to people that are possessed and they're touching them with it. And the, Listen, I'm not making this up. Like, look, you can go read this if you want, Acts 18 and 19. I'm not making any of this up. And so what happens is this. All of a sudden, the gospel lands and it explodes. It explodes. And people begin to meet with Jesus and, and have they're shown biblical hospitality. There's conversation. There's relationship happening. And the whole socioeconomical climate of Ephesus is flipped on its head. All of a sudden, there was these, there's folks that they made idols, right, to sell at the temple. Right? They, made, they made these idols. And, and they couldn't sell the idols anymore because nobody was buying them. Literally, they started a riot in the city because they could not sell. There was, you could no longer make money off of sinful gain. I mean, can you imagine a movement in Asheville, North Carolina, where all of a sudden there was a full-scale shutdown of anything that was of sinful gain? The gospel just totally comes and flips the socioeconomic climate on its head. That is exactly what's happening in Ephesus. And really... Uh, the, 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 the kind of the spark that made all of this explode involves Paul, which is not surprising. And by this point, some other folks that had been invested in, and they're, they're a part of the crew. Uh, what happens is, uh, and you can read this again, read Acts 18 19 when you go home. Get, read about the seven sons of Sceva or Siva. I've, had it, I've heard it said both ways, to be honest with you. I don't know which way is the perfect way. We're going to say Siva today, okay? Read about the seven sons of Siva, who were these uh, sons of this Jewish itinerant exorcist. Okay, that was a job back then, right? Talk about a sketchy resume. Um, and they find this demon-possessed uh, guy, and, and this is what they say according to the text. In the name of Paul's God, Jesus Christ, we command you to come out. And the Bible says that the demon speaks to them and goes, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize. Right, I'm going to stop there. For, Paul I recognize. Like, this demon's like, yeah, we know Paul. Is he around? He's not in here, is he? Like, we're good. Okay. So he says, but, Paul, but who are you? Look, I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. Who are you? And the Bible says that this man overpowers the seven sons of Siva, right? And, and, and this is in your Bible, okay? Bloody and naked. He beats them bloody and naked, and they fled the house without clothes. Okay, confession from me. I love UFC. It's my sin nature, whatever, okay? I love it. And, and what happens is, unless somebody gets, like, knocked out, you usually have a conversation, right? Like, well, did they win or did they not win? Okay, but general rule. If when the fight started, you were wearing pants, and when the fight ended, you no longer had on pants, you lost, <laughs> right? Like, nobody's going to be like, well, he did get that hook. No, no, listen, you came in with draws, you left with no draws, you lost, Right, And this thing is like, this is like the, the spark that hits the powder keg and just makes everything explode with the wildness of the gospel, right? All of a sudden, people that were on the fence that had seen this going on for two years, they begin to go, oh my gosh, this is the real deal. Like, this is really, there's no longer a question. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you so we can kind of wrap our brains around it. Acts 19, 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. What became known? That the seven sons of Siva got the pants beat off of them. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. 
Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted the value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Here's what I think we see going on here in the early days, early formation of Ephesus, that I think Jesus is pointing them to and saying, hey, get back to that. On top of the things that he's already said they're doing a good job with, here's what he's pointing them to. I'm going to kind of just list them out for you. The name of Jesus is being proclaimed and praised enthusiastically. We see that happening, right? These are people, they're just captivated by Jesus, right? They're a group of men and women that they can't help but to proclaim his name. They can't help but to praise his, they can't help but to rejoice of the goodness of Christ, not only in their hearts, but in their lives. They are people that wherever they are, they're talking about, they're rejoicing in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus to them is front and center. Jesus is celebrated. He's rejoiced. He's given credit. He's exalted. And listen, we can learn from this. We want to be enthusiastic about our praise of King Jesus, not just in here, but especially out there. Listen, we're only in here a couple hours a week. Maybe. I mean, like if you're like a really good Christian, you're in here a couple hours a week, right? But what, this is what we see happening, and we can learn from that. And one of the ways that we can practically do this is by opening our lives, sharing our lives, sharing our story, showing biblical hospital, having an outward orientation. And when we sit down for lunch, when we go to the grocery store, when we pump gas, when you name it, we should be just as enthusiastic about our salvation, just as enthusiastic about the goodness of our God and that he is establishing his kingdom. And you might go, oh gosh, Kelby, isn't that going to make me weird? 100%. Yes. It's even going to make you weird around Christians, all right? Around other church people, it's going to make you weird. But listen, what we're talking about here is not some type of cold weird, uh, overly programmatic religion. What we're talking about here is relationship. It's loving people. It's sharing life. It's living with biblical hospitality. The Bible would say bringing forth new creation. You realize that where heaven and earth meet now is in you. And you are tasked with taking that into your environment. But that's not the only thing, okay? We, we, we see that, and that's good. Um, but we also see this, and I want to just kind of talk about this from my own heart, okay? Um, we see that they're divulging and confessing their practices. Now, that's kind of like a fancy way to say they are living in community, okay? You don't just walk up to somebody you don't know and start divulging and confessing your practices, right? There's a relationship that's established before you do that. And if you, if you do just do that, let's have a conversation after this. Um, but... We would call that living in community. Um, and to make that a little bit more clear, here's what I would say. The church of Ephesus, was, it was grimy. It was, grimy. it was a little grimy, okay? I mean, I don't know if you were paying attention when we said earlier, but these are people that are being saved out of witchcraft. These are people that are being saved out of temple prostitution. Okay, there is a griminess to Ephesus. It is wheels off. Like they're burning witchcraft books in the street. It's wild. And listen, this is what living in community 
at least living in community where you invite people in who aren't like you should look like. It should have a little edge to it. It should have a little griminess. Listen, if it just looks like you, we have a word for that. It's called a country club. What we see the Bible calling us to be is men and women that are changed by the gospel and we begin to live generous, outward-focused lives. I've said this for years. It is okay not to be okay. I'm not okay a lot. It's not okay to stay there. God is going to move. God is going to save. He is going to work. Which, which kind of leads me to this third thing here that I think we see happening in the early days of the church of Ephesus. We see this. Forgiveness of sin and victory over Satan. I'm going to reread that last line that we read. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. The men and women of Ephesus have forgiveness. They begin to experience biblical hospitality. They begin to experience sharing of life, living in community. They begin to experience the power of that, and the Holy Spirit works in and through that. And then all of a sudden, because of that, they are seeing victory over Satan. Now, I know this is going to wake some of you out. I'm just going to embrace it, okay? Uh, if you're worshiping demons which is what's going on here. Right? If you have books of witchcraft in your house and you are casting spells, you have given permission to very real demonic realities to have claim on your heart and to break and to bend. And what we see going on in the early church of Ephesus and what we want to be, and we are a church like this, where freedom is being found. Strongholds are being broken Marriages are being put back together. Addictions are being broken. Listen, this is a place for people who are serious about wanting Jesus to free, to heal, to restore, and to establish. This is a place where those people find community and bring others into that community. This is not just a, our little secret. We bring others into that. We live with biblical hospitality. We share our life. We share our story. Listen, for me, I don't know about, well, actually, I do know about you. We only have one life, all of us in here, okay? And, and what, I, uh, what I want, I don't know how many days I have. I don't know what, what it's going to look like at the end or what, whatever. But what I want is I want to be, whenever I come to the end of my time here, I want to be wrong out seeing those who are very very far from Jesus come to know him love him and be transformed by him listen I have boundless energy for that and I feel like what what we're seeing in the early church of Ephesus I believe what we have proof when reading the text and we're seeing is that Jesus is pointing them back to that he's like dude I love your doctrinal purity I love that you're well taught. I love that you have this patient endurance. I love all that about you. But here's the thing. Go back to that. Go back to the biblical hospitality. Go back to sharing your life. Go back to the outward orientation. That's what I'm after. That's what we're seeing Jesus say. And so when, I, when, you know, when we started, I said, listen, I want, to, I want to read some of the scripture to kind of give us the foundation, but I, I do want to give some practical application, like how do we, how we do this? And, and so I want to do that uh, with you here. And so I would say this, our culture is changing daily, maybe faster than daily. You know, I don't know. As I get older, I feel like I'm less and less 
aware of the changes. It is changing quickly. It is leading, if we're honest, to endless challenges and questions for the church. It is. But here's the thing. God's not phased by that. He's not sitting back biting his fingernails, wondering how this post-Christian thing is going to play out. He has still the same. His plan has not changed. Matthew 16 still tells us that nothing, not even the gates of hell, shall prevail against the mission and the people of God. In a, in a time that's, listen, it is so confusing. It is so transient. It is so difficult. God is calling us to be strong and to have courage. That he will accomplish his purpose. That he will carry out his mission. And the best part about it is he's inviting you to join him. Listen, there's no argument. Our world's changing. But our purpose isn't. Okay? I would say this. After all, it is in the margins. It is in the trenches. It's in the nastiness that the church has always thrived the most. Look through history. And as exciting as this opportunity is to some people and as terrifying as it is to other people, we still have to answer the que this question. What does sharing my life, what does sharing my story look like in a postmodern, post-Christian, post-truth, post-everything world? How do I do this in this age of unbelief? And, and here's what I would say. It starts with hospitality. In all times and all places. I believe that evangelism, which is just another way of saying share your life, share your story, is almost always starts with hospitality. Now, that might sound strange because we live in a time where hospitality has kind of been hijacked by Martha Stewart, right? And it's somewhere along the way it becomes less about how we live our lives and more about how we decorate and prepare a meal for a holiday. Uh, but when you look at the Bible... You see just how serious God is about biblical about real, genuine biblical hospitality. Look at the whole of Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, and hospitality is literally everywhere, from the first page to the last page. And here's the thing, guys. More often than not, it is tied to loving and welcoming those who are considered aliens, strangers. And outsiders. It is about opening our life, opening our having an outward orientation towards men and women who don't look like us, think like us, or act like us. That is biblical hospitality. And it is all connected to the fact that God is hospitable. Even when we were his enemies. And as we show others the same type of welcoming love that God showed us, we begin to reflect and model our creator. We begin to model what it is to be a follower of Christ. We become the image bearers that we were created to be. Listen, when you do this, when you live with biblical hospitality, when you share your life, you don't become less human. You become more human. You become what you were designed to be image of the invisible God. But here's the thing. I think that this type of hospitality can also create some great entry points for us to share our story, for us to share our life. Listen, it's not a silver, I'm not saying it's a silver bullet uh, for evangelism in the 21st century. And it's our calling regardless if it is a silver bullet or not. 
But I am convinced of this. In our cultural context, in our political landscape, this type of biblical hospitality will surprise some folks and open some doors. It will. I would say this also with that. Find common ground. Listen, even though that we're living in a world where people are leaving the church and, and fewer and fewer people would consider themselves Christians, I really don't think there's that many staunch atheists out there. I just don't. Yes, our world is disenchanted. Yes, our world is secular. But people are still searching for something. And that means this. When we approach these conversations, you don't have to assume that everyone hates God or that everyone hates Christians. They might have some serious problems with our faith, maybe even some deep wounds. I can relate to them on that. But I find this. People are often open to talking about spiritual, meaningful things. The reality is this. We all have the same questions about life and evil and suffering, etc. So I would say this. Identify and hold on to those places where you relate and connect. Then I would say this. This is kind of cheesy, but it needs to be said. Pray. Pray. Listen, we are called to be a people of prayer. And in a culture that is growing increasingly hostile, that is growing increasingly noisy, where we have less and less credibility, I don't think I can highlight enough the need for prayer. Here's why. Where you don't get opportunities, you can pray. Where you don't feel heard, you can pray. Where your story, your presentation of the gospel, whatever it is, is criticized, your personal story is criticized, you can pray. After all, there's nothing we can do in our own power and might to save ourselves, much less anyone else. Keep coming back to him in prayer. Then I would say this, and this kind of is where we bring it in for what we're really talking about. Share your personal story. Now, I want to start by what I don't mean when I say share your personal story. What I don't mean when I say share your personal story is give an account of your biblical worldview. That may happen, okay? But I'm not, I say don't start there. Uh, what I don't mean is give your opinion on a metaphorical or literal six-day creation. Okay, that may happen, but don't start there. I'm not, not saying be prepared to give a 30-minute apologetics class. That may happen, all that's good stuff, but don't start there. Here's what I'm saying. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you personally have. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you personally have. Listen, we are a narrative people. We are drawn. We are shaped by stories. It is part of our DNA. And because our culture is so story-driven, it is important that we continuously share our story. Listen, over and over in Scripture, you see the power of testimony. Paul is actually standing, getting ready to lose his life before, before King Agrippa. And he sh- how does he start? He tells his personal story. He doesn't go into a, a you know, doctoral thesis on you know, what secondary theology. He tells his story. I have found this. Where people are turned off by Christianity, where people are turned off by the gospel, fill in the blank, they are open to hearing our personal stories. Listen, I'm not saying by doing this you're going to be saving people left and right. That's what I'm saying. But I do believe this. that These things coupled with a warm dose of hospitality will open the door. And it will give us a helpful shot. I want to, I want to end by telling a story 
the last place that, that Ashton and I served, um, there was a lady. And uh, she, uh, they were not old. I mean, she was maybe mid-50s. And her husband unexpectedly died. Uh, he had surgery, and, and it was kind of minor surgery. They thought everything was going to be okay. And uh, he just died. And they were totally unprepared. Financially, emotionally, they were just unprepared in all the ways. It was devastating, shattering. Earth, I mean, it just, you can't imagine the pain and the grief. and the. Un, I mean, it was just a very, very trying time for this lady. And uh, the grieving process was long, and it was tough. And, and at some point, she said, you know, that, and I love this lady, like, she is like my spirit animal. She, they were part of like a Harley club, okay? And so uh, her husband and her, and, she, and this Harley club, uh, they would minister to these uh, women that were battling addiction issues, and, and that was one of the things that they would do. And so she said, I'm going to go do that. I need to go do that. that. That gave me some life and energy. I want to do it. And so she does, and she ends up meeting this, this young lady there, and uh, they begin to, you know, hey, every week I, I have, I'm going to come and hang out with you. Well, that grew into, hey, why don't, why don't I come hang out with you once a week, but also why don't we go get lunch or go take a walk around the block every week, which led to, hey, tell me about you. Like, what's going on? Tell me your story. And so she does. She tells this lady her story. And this lady, uh, they're sitting there in her home. She tells her story. She had cooked lunch. And she said, the lady looks at her and she goes, I want that. And she said, but you can have it. And there wasn't some repeat after me. There wasn't some theological training. There was none of that. None of that. She said, well, let's just pray together. And so they knelt at her couch. And she said, she said this beautiful prayer that was just so from the heart. And it was not formulated. And it wasn't in church language or nothing. She said, even at the end, instead of like, in Jesus' name, amen, or however, she just goes, thanks. And that was it. <laughs> like, that's how the prayer ended. And she tells her story. And so... Then what begins to happen is she says, I'm gonna, I think you know, over some time, I'm going go to go to rehab. And she goes to rehab, and, and she gets clean, and, and she's getting out, and it's the first of the month. And what would happen is on the first of the month, she would take her check, and she would go you know, spend it on, on substance that she was using, abusing, and then you know, kind of hopefully scratch and claw, claw her way till the next first of the month and just do it over and over and over and over and over again. And she got out of rehab and she said, listen, this is the first time for the first month, the first month come, has come in 20 years and I don't plan on buying drugs. And I'm terrified that I'm going to slip up. And she said, okay, I'll come stay with you. She stayed the whole day with her. And the next first of the month, she stayed the whole day with her. And the next first month, she stayed the whole day with her. Let's fast forward five years now. This woman is sober. She has a relationship with her children that she has not had in 20 years. She has a job. She's a part of a community. She's experiencing biblical hospitality. And she is sharing her story in a women's Bible study every week. That is not because somebody had biblical training and needed to know all the answers. It's because somebody said, I care enough to open my life and to share my story. Here's what I would say. I love C.S. Lewis, and uh, C.S. Lewis writes a book uh, called The Silver Chair, and in that book, um, there's a, a young lady, and she is, um, she's not, she's lost in the woods, and she's not doing good, she's not, she's been a couple days, no water, she's really not doing good, and so she's kind of limping around, trying to find some water, and she finally does, she comes over the hill, she sees this beautiful stream, she scans, and she says, oh my goodness, this is great, and she sees a lion, which is Aslan. 
And she does what anybody would do when they see a line. She's startled and she stops. She's debating on what she knows. If she doesn't get water, it's not going to be good. And finally, in, in just desperation, she yells to the lion, I'll find another stream. And the lion looks at her and he goes, there is no other stream. And that's what I would say to you. There is no other stream. God's plan to seek and to save the lost, to establish the new heaven on the, in the new earth is you. It's not pastors standing behind tables. I think that's part of it. But it's you. It is us. It is his people in their job, in their home, in the grocery store, at the gas pump. That is God's plan to seek and to save the lost. And he's inviting you to join him. And this is one thing I can, without a shadow of a doubt, speak from my own testimony. When you begin to do this, you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You will. Go and there I'll be with you. I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, the band's going to come up and we're going to play a song. And I would just ask you this. Well, this song is playing... Would you consider in your personal life, like reflect in your personal heart, where there are some areas that even right now you could begin to do this? Because I guarantee you there are some. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, thank you so, so much uh, for, for a congregation here where the, our reputation is that we open our arms. We welcome those who are far from you. I pray that we would continue to, to live in that, to to trust you in that and to continue to keep a little bit of griminess here. Lord, we want to be open to what you're doing and we ask that, that in this city you would start a movement right here from fellowship. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.